yourself a favor and get some of this in this corner with Brian Campbell is back on CBSSports.com and it's ready to invade your personal space with another injection of that performance enhancing audio. Yes, it's the MMA edition this week as we set the stage for Saturday's UFC 212 card from Brazil. And we have nothing short of an A-list guest to help us insert that needle. He's the pride of Bay Manette, Alabama, one of the most <laughs> versatile combat sports voices of the 21st century. Yes, you heard that right. He's a man, he's 40, yet he has the haircut of an angsty teenage dashboard confessional fan. The great Todd Grisham, thanks so much for raising the rent here on In This Corner. Oh my God, Brian. How long did it take you to write that, that intro? At Honestly. least a day and a half. At least oh. a day and a half. A lot of sexual innuendos, some steroid-leaning conversations, manscaping. Well, oh, that's what I want to start the show with. Let's talk about the tick you found this morning near your genitalia. How wow, did this? Wow! How how quickly can we edit this out of the final recording there, Grish? Before we get into shirtless men wrestling inside of cages. I don't want to gloss over the accolades I mentioned briefly off the top. People know you from the days on the microphone with WWE, from that impressive run on SportsCenter and ESPN's Friday Night Fights. But the past year, TG, you've diversified that resume within the combat sports realm. I'm looking at you right now over Skype. You're, you're, you're not, even, not even into me putting you over here, but I will. The voice of Glory Kickboxing, now a studio host and play-by-play -play man with the UFC. I mean, what could possibly be left on the bucket list here, my friend? Well, you're forgetting that I was also the host of the AKC Yukonuba National Dog Show Championships, which aired on ABC for three years. My wow. real pride and joy. Your agent must have got a nice cut of that check, right? I am I am hashtag blessed all over the place. I mean, there's no doubt about it that I have had some unbelievable jobs and had the best of the, the job world right now. To be able to call glory kickboxing, I, I mean, I just got back from Amsterdam. Uh, I don't remember much about it because I was constantly in a coffee shop. And exactly. Then next, next week, I'm going to Paris for glory. And I just returned home from Los Angeles doing UFC. Life is great right now, Brian. Well, I want to get into more about you and your career shortly. First, though, let's look back at Sunday's UFC Fight Night card from Stockholm, Sweden. You were in L.A. for this one, anchoring that coverage on Fox Sports. Light heavyweight contender Alexander Gustafsson dazzled his hometown fans with a fifth-round KO of Glover Teixeira, likely lifting him to another title shot in a rematch with maybe John Jones, Daniel Cormier, whoever comes out of that July 29th bout that we all want to see. Gustafsson Grish, criticized by some saying he couldn't finish at the highest level. I think that's no more now. That stigma's gone after this one. What was your reaction to that performance? First of all, he hit Clover Teixeira with what it had to be like 10,000 power punches. I mean, even the final <laughs> sequence in the fifth round, it was uppercut, 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 straight right hand, finally. I mean, he was, he might as well have had an aluminum bat. It was out of control. So, the, the the big story to me was how much abuse Glover Teixeira could take because, you know, you follow boxing long enough, you know, like Roy Jones, some of these great fighters. Once your chin goes, you're done. You're done. And the way Teixeira got knocked out by Anthony Johnson, I was shocked that he lasted as long as he did. I mean, it was a great fight, quote unquote. But I mean, as far as offense goes, Teixeira did not land much at all. He just got beat down for five rounds. But the good thing about a big power puncher like Teixeira is even though he's getting beat down like that, you're thinking, you know what? If Gustafson gets tired or starts to drop his hands a little bit, he could still get caught. So that was kind of the drama that was always there. But I've always loved Gustafson. The greatest fight I've ever seen in my life, mixed martial arts-wise, in person, 
was Gustafson versus John Jones. Oh, you uh, were there for that. That's that's the greatest title fight in UFC history, really. I mean, really, it might have been. Unbelievable. And I remember specifically at one point in that fight, fourth or fifth round, Gustafson and Jones were kind of, you know, standing, posing at each other. Who's going to throw the next punch? And Gustafson at one point just started to let his eyes wander down to Jones's feet for a second. And I thought that Gustafson was going to drop dead. I thought he was dying. That's, I said, arguably the most exciting title fight of all time. We saw Jones pushed like never before. When you look back on that fight, though, from what we know now, all of that, is that a bad night for Bones where he admitted to cocaine use during that week, not taking everything as seriously as he needed to? Or was that the mauler being kind of the perfect prototype if anyone out there is going to give John Jones those type of problems? Which do you? I think I think we've learned that the guy that's going to beat John Jones is either A, someone who's tall and rangy like John Jones, or B, John Jones is going to beat himself by coming in drugged up or whatever his problem is. If he doesn't come in 100% against Daniel Cormier, I think he's going to lose this time because Cormier is dialed in. I've worked with him, and that's all he talks about. That's all he hears about. His life right now is all about John Jones. And this, by the way, is a man who just got married this past weekend. I guarantee you. <laughs> On the honeymoon, he was still thinking about John Jones. Well, Gustafson's thirty, uh, spectacular performance. Would you? Is he a live dog? If he in that when he does eventually get that title shot in a rematch against either of these contenders, do you see him with a legitimate chance to come away with that belt? Why not? I mean, he what was a split decision against Jones? Was it was it a split against DC? I don't remember, but either Close fight enough. could have gone either way. I mean, no one's if Gustafson had beaten Jones, there wouldn't have been like this huge groundswell of Jones got hosed. So I think he's almost done it, and in some people's eyes, did do it once. I don't see why he couldn't do it again. Well, after the fight, Gustafson proposed to his girlfriend in the cage, only unlike Jessica Andrade just a few weeks ago. The setup was better handled, right? He had a <laughs> ring present. The girlfriend was in the cage with him. Most importantly, he made sure to win the fight before popping the question. No no offense to Andrade, but we talk a lot on this podcast about hitting that feel spot, about penetrating your defenses. Did you catch feels from Big Gus getting the I do from his wife, from the future misses right there? This coming from a guy who's basically going to be been married twice, Brian. I don't get too sappy with the uh, romantic <laughs> stuff. To me, I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. Don't do it, brother. What are you thinking? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Everyone else is like, oh, this is great. But I'm one of those pessimistic people that just says, ride the lightning. Uh, in all seriousness here, Grinch, I've you heard... You asked me about going. people paying me to go to Amsterdam. I cannot imagine. The first time I went to Amsterdam, I was uh, 21 years old. This was 1998, and I remember just thinking, I'm not, I shouldn't come here maybe ever again, considering Definitely. the decisions Definitely. I made. I've been to Amsterdam three times in the last six months, Brian. You're lucky that I'm here with you now. Wow. What happens in the Netherlands stays in the in the old Netherlands, or what? Whatever We're going to leave it. And whatever happens in the nether regions in the Netherlands stays there. Exactly. Right. All right. I've heard you give me the sales pitch before about glory kickboxing, how exciting the product is simply just for the percentage of knockouts fans get to see. How long did it take you to sort of become immersed into the this elite kickboxing culture and really have a handle on what you're calling out there? I don't think I'll ever have a handle on anything I'm calling. There's sometimes I sit down during a fight. And I'm like, how did I get this job? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Let me fake it as best I can. In the WWE days, that was OK, because the whole thing was fake. Right. So I was just playing a role, but but no, I love it. And to me, I'm all about storytelling and building characters and telling you people's backstory. If there's just two random dudes fighting in a warehouse, you know, in Jackson, Tennessee or whatever, who cares? But if I said, listen, these two guys are fighting, the guy on the left, if he loses, 
has to leave the state of Tennessee and never come back again. This guy, <laughs> and the guy so- on the right has a tick in his nether regions. He just found <laughs> it this morning before the podcast. Oh, wait, that was me. That was me. Sorry about That's that. That's Brian Campbell. He needs treatment. He can't afford it. He has to win this fight or he's going to have Lyme disease. Exactly. All right. Well, that, that sums but up anyway, the... But, but the thing about kickboxing, and I, think, I really do think it's going to catch on. I don't know to what degree, but I think when you watch UFC fights nowadays... Because you're getting, it's gotten so much bigger as far as popularity. When guys go to the ground and there's not ground and pound, if they're just down there jujitsu playing and it goes on for a minute or two, the crowd instantly starts booing. And if you look at the past, I don't know, 20 years, fights of the year over the last 20 years, I would say, I don't know what they are, but 18 to 20 are stand-up brawls. Good point. So that's what people want for the most part. If you're dialed into That's what the casuals want. And by the way, the casuals are what make million-and-a-half selling pay-per-views, not the hardcores. So that's what glory kickboxing is. They, they say stand-up and fight. Punches, knees, kicks, knockouts. That's it. You fall to the ground, the referee says get up. So there's a, certainly an audience there for it. Hopefully it can catch on here in the States. It's huge in Europe, and it's getting big in China because Yao Ming – the former basketball player in the NBA, Hall of Famer, just put in $20 million into glory. Wow. So, $20 million of his own money? Well, of his investment firm. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, I, I take up twenty five grand a year of that money because that's my salary. But the rest goes straight into pushing kickboxing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Look, you made your UFC play-by-play debut, Grish. This February, Nova Scotia, UFC fight night, heavyweights Derek Lewis and Travis Brown in the main event. Take me back there. How nervous were you that night compared to your other debuts in combat sports, knowing arguably what, you know, arguably the highest profile gig you had. This is the UFC. This is legit. This is everything. You know, I don't, I wouldn't say I was nervous. It's just, I just, I was more, did I cross my T's and dot my I's? And, and most of us, once the, the, the fight started to the fight ended, I'm fine, but it's, tossing to the right promo and getting the right uh, saying the right words here and the correct verbiage and and setting up Brian Stan and making sure we get the graphics right and I read the, all that TV stuff is what takes so much time and so much preparation um, and that's what that's what the bosses notice more, more than anything hey you said that we were going to do this next week but we're doing this what made you say that those are the little things that yeah. drive bosses crazy as far as the fights themselves I would never say it's easy but since you can't really prepare for what's going to happen, it's just you and the guy you're sitting next to just talking about the fight. Well, I love that you said you can't prepare what's happened because if I'm going to put you over, the best part I love about you is your unbridled passion in the big moments when you are equal to the level of what the call needs. When Derek Lewis knocks out Travis Brown, Grish gives us the Black Beast roars again. And, you know, I pop big. It was a moment how would you sort of sum up your style in 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 those type of moments when it just sort of happens and and what you bring to to the table in those spots? Well, they told me, uh, they told me basically, listen, you're you're brand new here. Uh, if anything, lean towards the 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 boring side. You know, with the UFC fans, just you know, kind of get through it. Let Brian Stan do his thing. Don't you know, get outside your lane too much. Just you know, the first show, whatever, whatever. I was like, great advice. I don't need to hit a home run. I just need to hit a single, maybe leg out a double, right? But when you're, or at least me, when I'm five feet away from two 260-pound behemoths cracking each other in the face and you can hear it and you see the blood flashing over the ring and the sweat, I I lose my shit, Brian. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. I'm a, 
I'm a I'm a warm-blooded American male. I'm a small-town white boy from Alabama, and I just I lose it. So after the fight, I was just like, hey man, that's just I can't help myself. That's me. Hopefully you guys like it because I just get excited. I mean, it's it's two people, it's like two grizzly bears fighting in the woods. If I threw you out there, you're not gonna be like, wow, look at those grizzly bears fighting. You're like, oh my god, they're grizzly bears! <laughs> help! Honey! No, grizzly bears! <laughs> That's the uh, that's that's my favorite breakdown of, of, of the minutia and the technical aspects of doing one's job that I've ever heard. All right. So is there any difference from the preparation to the actual call uh, when you look across the combat sports disciplines, boxing, WWE, MMA, kickboxing? Is it all just sort of read and react? I mean, you know, what's the breakdown here? Well, there's the time limit. Like with boxing, I mean, obviously things can can be over in 20 seconds in any combat sport. But generally speaking, with boxing, You've got a lot more time to tell the story. You've got a lot more time to to set up what you want to say. You know, the first two or three rounds in a lot of boxing matches, they're feeling each other out. And you can fight out. So you know, that's what you can do in boxing. Kickboxing, it's three three-minute rounds. So they're going for the jugular right away. Bell rings, guys are throwing haymakers. You've got no time. So you've got to do the setup stuff in the walkouts and in the – the what they call the uh, tease is going to break where it shows the guys warming up backstage and then with UFC it's kind of a mix of both because um for the international viewers the FS1 shows the walkouts those go live around the world but on FS1 it's a commercial so for around the world audience you can when the guy's walking out you can say you know he's a beekeeper but he got stung when he was a kid (laughs) and he got angry and he wanted to take it out on somebody so he went to this storyteller Todd Grisham Vinny Mac would be so proud of you right now whatever it is but then once once we come back from commercial on fs1 you haven't heard me say all that stuff so it's just two guys pretty much fighting so you've got to kind of cram that in pretty quick so it's it's different from that regard as far as calling knockouts and stuff you know obviously there's the submission um aspect in ufc where a guy taps a, a guy out on the inside or does a verbal tap and you don't even know what really happened you're like oh let's see the replay it's almost like a hockey goal you know, the light goes off, everyone starts cheering, but we and no one in the whole arena saw what happened till we see the slow motion replay. So that's the difference in my book is that you have time limitations. And as far as UFC goes, sometimes you don't even know when the fight ends or what made it in. All right, Chris, been six years since you worked for WWE, but I mean, you had a lot of big moments since then. Hosting SportsCenter alone did a lot to sort of rebrand you in the eyes of a lot of sports fans that maybe, you know, weren't watching WWE to begin with. But you know that fan base is loyal and hardcore and just absurd. Give us some inside baseball here. How often are you recognized on a weekly basis just for being that WWE guy compared to the the more recent stuff you've done in front of the camera? Well, you know, when I was at WWE, I wore glasses. My hair was a little less drastic. Um, my skin was a little softer. You were less spoiled by the, by the exploits of the world, of the world out there, the things that Correct. could grab you. Still innocent. I was like a child running through a field. But, uh, back then, especially in England, cause I used to host a show called bottom line, which you may recall. And it aired apparently on sky sports two or sky sports three, like every single night from midnight to six on a loop. So anytime <laughs> I go to Britain, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I would walk down the street. I felt like George Michael. Or is it George Michaels? Was he plural or singular? I don't remember. The George Michael sports machine or no, the Wham that. frontman? Or the Wham frontman? The Wham frontman. 
with Andrew Wrigley. But no, I would get recognized literally every couple minutes. And still to this day, I would say I get recognized. Usually it's it's one of those, like the guy who did my who turned on my sprinklers today, my underground sprinklers. <laughs> Give Where's us the story. WWE? I said, yeah. And then, and then they'll be like, and then what? You did ESPN and now you're doing, you know, it's like that. It's never, hey, you're the UFC guy. Didn't you used to do WWE? I'll always be, to many people, the WWE guy doing something else. So when you're in Walmart at 7 a.m. getting diapers and, and feminine products and you got a kid with a loaded diaper in one arm, inevitably someone's going to come up to you and be like, hey, man, remember that time on WWE Livewire where you took those calls about TNA and you told that guy off? Like something random is always catching you at the wrong time, right? Yes. Christian, the wrestler Christian, right? He had been out for, I guess, a year and a half away from WWE. He either got injured or he went to TNA wrestling. I don't know what it was. But he was making his comeback. <clears throat> so... Right before I walked out of the gorilla position, which is you know where Vince sits and the wrestlers stay right before they walk out, Vince McMahon calls me over. Todd, come here. Listen, Christian's coming back tonight, but I don't want you to oversell it. When he walks through the curtain, you just say, it's Christian. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, so you don't want me to, you do what I say when I say it. You say, it's Christian. Okay. So they hit his music. He comes out. The crowd goes berserk. Oh, my God. In nor normal voice, I'd be like, oh, my God. It's Christian. We haven't seen him in two years. Why is he? What's happening? But I go, it's Christian. And the internet has never forgiven me for that. He's the worst. <laughs> if you want to know how sucky Todd Grisham is, watch this. His reaction is the worst. I'm like, listen, get, cut me some slack, bro. Okay? You think I'm going to say that on my own? I was given that direction. I'm an actor on that show. I'm basically doing what a puppet master tells me to do. So they're always like, oh, yeah, man, you're the one who said it. it's Christian. <laughs> I'm like, yep. So Vince McMahon in your ear, which had to be an experience unlike any other, there's no equivalent to that in regular fight sports, right? You don't have Dana White in your ear going, ah, come on, Christian, put over that knockout a little bit better. No, absolutely not. No, there's nothing that compares. I mean, I've had – here's the thing. Vince McMahon was in my ear for eight years, and then when I would go to ESPN – we have a thing called an IFB, which is in our ear where the producer can talk to us. So Vince McMahon, I was almost like a, uh, you know, the, what do they call it? The, the Pavlov's theory with the bell, yes. right? Anytime I would hear, they'd say the key open where you could tell he, I was about to be talked to. Apparently I got this, when it happened at ESPN, my sphincter would tighten up immediately. Because <laughs> I'd be getting ready to be verbally abused. And usually it's something like, uh, Todd, can you please toss to the promo? Or Todd, the, the score in the Reds game is now seven to three. But I would get the shakes waiting. One time, Vince McMahon during a match, I'm calling the match, Brian. Uh, three million people watching. This is uh, gold. Keep it going. Huge, right? Huge audience. I say something, and Vince McMahon says in my ear, "Are you trying to suck this bad on purpose?" That's 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 uh, that's gotta just you know really raise your spirits, really raise your your emotion, your your energy. Uh, Todd, I have a question. The general public doesn't get the access to the friendship of the life of Todd Grisham like I do. I'm a blessed person. Hashtag blessed. When will the general public get to hear your WWE weight room Vince McMahon story? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I think it's time. Well, here's the problem. It, it has to be seen as well as heard. I can't just tell it. It has to because there's there's the, the big finish is the finale where I visually show you the space and distance control that was done by Vince McMahon. 
He, All right, we'll, he, we'll have to deliver this at another time on another platform. I hate to tease the bag here. Well, you, you don't want to tease the bag or you'll get the mess, but this is this is, might be worth waiting on. Well, listen, you're going to be you're going to be maybe out in uh, in uh, Vegas for UFC Fight Week. I will be there. Maybe you can do a special 3-minute edition of your show where I I reenact the story on the iPhone for you. That, that's fantastic. I think the people are going to really appreciate that. To close on WWE and your time there, can you tell us what hazard pay is? <laughs> hazard pay is when you are physically, when you agree to be physically involved in a storyline on WWE. Because I am a quote-unquote journalist, a quote-unquote reporter, an announcer. I'm not a wrestler or a superstar. So... One specific time, which you can also look on YouTube, Max Bredos, who's also at ESPN now, had a shelf life of about six months at WWE, believe it or not. <laughs> he, 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 I'm serious. He had like maybe six on cameras in six months. But they wanted him to get slapped by Mickey James in this. He was going to do the interview. And, and Max was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't want to. And I was sitting there. I was like, Am I, is it paying hazard pay? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, 500 bucks. I said, I'm in. Count me in. So I'm like, have her just hit the beat the hell out of me. I don't care. You know, if she hits me twice as hard, maybe they'll pay me a grand. Well, let me tell you something. That girl slapped me harder than I've ever been. Oh, touched. it's on YouTube. It's spectacular. I mean, there's a there's I like to call it the uh, soap opera look. You know, on a soap opera when they're going to break, you know, the, the woman will say something along the lines of, Not only am I leaving this house, I'm leaving you forever. <laughs> and, the camera, and the camera pushes in on the, the actor who's looking around like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And it fades to commercial, right? Well, Mickey James slaps me, and they're like, all right, we're going to stay on you for five seconds afterwards. Well, she drills me, and the camera starts pushing it, and you can see my tears welling up with, with <laughs> my eyes welling up with tears. I'm holding my face. I'm like, oh, my God. And they fade to black. Oh, that those weren't kayfabe tears. That was legit. That, that was, was straight up. Tears. That was me looking for help. That was me searching for life's meaning. I didn't know what happened. I was concussed. All right, great, great moments in hazard pay history also included an AA from John Cena, an attitude adjustment. What does that feel like, Todd? Um, you know, what's weird is that you can, it's not like normal. Like if he had just, we'd gotten in a real fight, he'd done it to me like in the parking lot, you would handle it one way. But I, once you get hit, the first, once you land, the first thing you're thinking is I have to make this look like it's supposed to look for the audience watching. Like in real life, maybe I, I get hit and I'm like, damn, that hurt, you know? But on TV, I have to act like I might be dead. You know, I could be dead. They, this is real. I'm just an announcer, and I got an AA. I could, I could, it could be a fatality. Someone might need to call 911. So that's how you have to play it, as opposed to, Dad Gummit, man, that really smarts. <laughs> Dad Gummit, well, you tucked your chin, you sold it well. I think you realized from one bump, you didn't want to take any more bumps. Nobody wants well, to take a real bump. For hazard pay, I got sweet chin music from Shawn Michaels not once but twice. And that one's good because he's so amazing. He can make it, he can kick you, but kick you at a point where it almost feels like you just kind of got popped by a ping pong paddle. Just kind of a, and it's not, it's like, a, oh, what was that? Of course, you got to sell it again. Like I could have been decapitated, but he's great. He's amazing. Any crazy stories behind the scenes of working with the great ESPN boxing analyst, Teddy Atlas? Because we know he's crazy. He brings fun to the broadcast. But I always felt like he was crazy like a fox in terms of his shtick. Is that the real man behind the scenes? 
he's a, he, the good thing about Teddy Atlas is, and he says it on the air all the time. He's like, people are liars. They're lying. They'll lie to your face. Everybody's a liar. Well, you got to be straight with him to the point where he, his, I think it was his daughter getting married. And he invited, you know, Joe Tessitore and everybody, and, and they were talking about it. And he didn't invite me, which no big deal. I mean, we, you know, I see him a couple times a year. Well, two days later, which was like five days before the wedding, I get an invitation in the mail to go to his daughter's wedding. Well, obviously, I'm like, he just sent this to be nice because, you know, he whatever. He was being cordial. Okay, no big deal. So the next week, I see him at Friday Night Fights, and I was like, hey, how'd the wedding go? He goes, you, you didn't come. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry I couldn't make it. You know, I'm like, he's like, well, then, you know, on the, on the card, it says RSVP. <laughs> I didn't do RSVP. I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know it was. He goes, he goes, so you don't know what RSVP means? I'm like, well, yeah, I know what it means. But I, well, then why didn't you RSVP? The reason you do that is so that we know. Because he explains to me what an RSVP oh, is. Oh, you're out of the will at this point. And, and I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, he's got me. But I just said, you know what, Teddy? I should have RSVP'd. I didn't. I apologize. I'm, I'm not a good person. He's like, well, as long as you're willing to admit that. There's so then a very we Vince McMahon crossover feel to him. They're 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 two in the same. They're geniuses. But he's very he's a very very kind person. His charity. I'm talking about Teddy Atlas. Oh, incredible work, charity. He's work. the best, the best to work with. And you know, listen, he has a certain style that no one else has, and it's hard to be original in this game anymore. There's no one else that will ever be like Teddy it's Atlas. Also hard to hold the attention of fans during a let's be honest a D minus fighter versus. C minus fighter, you know, and he'll yeah. keep you, he'll keep you engaged. You know, he's, he's a true legend in that regard. And of course, Todd, we, love, we love when he has meltdowns on the judging. Matt Sanduli is our executive producer or was for Friday night fights. And there was some fight where Teddy went off a little bit. We come back from break and I asked Teddy about it again. And Teddy goes nuclear and Matt Sanduli gets in my ear and goes, why'd you bring it up again? He was going to go nuclear. I'm like, exactly. People want to see nuclear. <laughs> You know, because people at home are like, that was a horrible decision. I can't believe they get away with it. You know, on UFC, it, it gets mentioned maybe in the post-fight stuff from Dana White. But right. you don't hear Brian Stan or Daniel Cormier going berserko on the, on the judging. But in Friday Night Fights, Teddy Atlas, you're like, if Teddy Atlas had a weapon, he might shoot a judge right now. <laughs> Todd, before, before we touch UFC 212 to close, Mayweather-McGregor, every day, every week, you hear more and more. We ever, we're going to see this in 2017. Do you care? I know your personality. You're a carnival fight type guy. This is touching you somewhere in, the, in, the, in that field spot. We're going to see this? Here's what, it, here's what it says to me. Do I want to see the fight? I could, I could, if it happens, of course I'm going to see the fight. But we all know, anyone with any sort of combat sports intelligence knows. 99.9% knows. You know it. I know it. Teddy Allen. Everyone knows that Conor McGregor cannot win this fight on his no. very best day. On his very best day. If it's a boxing match. Even Conor, deep down in his heart, knows that. I mean, Floyd Mayweather has made Hall of Famers look silly. What's he going to do to a guy having his first boxing match? It's a, it's a money heist. It's, it's going to be the greatest money heist right in front of your eyes. They're telling you they're stealing your money if it actually happens. That would be the plan yes. right there. Now, if they were to alter the rules just a little bit and maybe say, hey, you know what? It's going to be a boxing match, but they're going to wear four-ounce gloves. In an then octagon. He's then he's got a shot. But if they're wearing regular gloves, he has no chance. But what I also know is how finance works. Why would Conor McGregor not take this fight? Even if I said, Conor, you're going to not land one power punch. He's going to chop you down for six, seven rounds. The ref's going to stop it, and you lose. But I'm going to pay you $70 million, more than you'll make in your entire UFC career for one night. Why would it'll, take, he... it'll take less damage, by the way, over 12 rounds, and he probably yes. wouldn't in five minutes in the UFC. 
Especially, I mean, it's not like he's going in there fighting Mike Tyson. I mean, he's fighting, he's fighting a defensive fighter who hasn't knocked anyone out in, what, six, seven years. Yeah, so, yeah, I can't, can't argue with that. I think it'll die on the negotiation table. That's my whole conspiracy theory, side theory on that. But we'll see. Todd, this Saturday is UFC 212 from Brazil. Featherweight championship in the main event. A unification, Jose Aldo, the, the new full champion versus Max Holloway, the interim champion. Todd, it's been a long time since the real 145 belt has been defended. We're going back to December 2015. Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Long time ago. But the McGregor era looks to be over at 145. Aldo back in the driver's seat. What do you like about this matchup? Because I'm hashtag fired up for this one. I think it's going to be a great fight. And, you know, I think Holloway was Holloway's last loss to Conor McGregor. Yes, both guys last ten, loss, McGregor. Ten fights ago. I mean, he's been he's been knocking everybody. He's been looking fantastic. But Jose Aldo, I kind of – I think – Max Holloway has proven he's he's obviously more seasons than than Yair Rodriguez. But when people were saying Yair Rodriguez is going to beat Frankie Edgar, man, I was like, even Edgar said afterwards, there's levels to this game. No doubt, Frankie Edgar level is 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 Jose Aldo level. Jose Aldo is even better than Frankie Edgar as he's proven a couple of times. So Max Holloway, if he is to beat Jose Aldo, I mean he he earns everything he gets. I'm just afraid that his legs are just going to get chopped to to sausage meat by those low kicks of uh, Jose Aldo. Well, that's my question. So Holloway's calling card at this point is aggression, right? And, and, and did, did he show more wrinkles against Anthony Pettis in his last fight? Absolutely. But his calling card is he's just coming at you. But that's the offense that Jose Aldo eats up, right? I mean, you saw that shutout he pitched in the rematch with Frankie Edgar at UFC 200 in his last bout. Yeah. That's sort of what Jose Aldo does. And look look why Jose Aldo lost to Conor McGregor, because he was overaggressive. He extended too far on his power punch, and he got caught. You think he's going to do that against Max Holloway? Hell no. It will be interesting, though, if Holloway can hang around. Who do you think has the advantage in rounds four and five if it gets to that point? Again, I mean, Aldo has been through everything, man. I mean, Holloway's on a great run, but, I mean, Aldo's done it. I mean, every single fight, he's fighting elite competition, and he just doesn't lose except for to Conor McGregor. I mean, it's going to be a great fight, and I hope Holloway can go five rounds. I hope it's an epic battle, and it certainly could be. But right now, until someone beats Jose Aldo outside of a 13-second one-punch knockout, I like the Brazilian. Uh, the co-main event is a women's strawweight bout. Claudia Gadelha against Karolina Kowalkiewicz. Both girls lost to Joanna Young-Jacek. Joanna champion in 2016. I kind of feel like the winner of this may find themselves in another rematch with Joanna because she's going to be pretty much out of opponent soon. Two wins away from breaking Rousey's record if she can get there for overall title defenses on the women's side. Todd, I know this fight is about Claudia and Carolina, but Joanna's the the headliner in this division. Is anyone going to beat her at, at, at 115? I mean, is it, it, do you see any weaknesses in her game in the long run? You know what I've noticed? I mean, we got behind that Ronda Rousey hype train. Everybody did. And I feel like Young Jacek has not been hyped quite as much because Ronda Rousey got exposed on such a massive level. I think everyone keeps waiting for her to, you know, hey, it's a female that they're not, you know, that's it, the sport hasn't been around as long. She could get, you know, the, the apple cart could get tossed over at any second. Someone even tweeted out that people think Joanna Young Jacek is a boring fighter. I was no, like, no. are they out of their minds? Are they out of their minds? Have they have they lost their soul? What are they talking about? I think she right now, looking down that division, I don't see anyone that can beat her until something changes. I mean, she's as good as it gets. And it's a shame, really, that there hasn't been an elite-level contender pop up. Andrade was supposed to give her fits, and Jacek basically toyed with her for the most part. I think what – 
It's interesting because, you know, Claudia wrestled her really strong in, in both matches against Joanna. And I feel like if that was a three round fight in the rematch, Claudia probably wins that. But you just can't go five rounds at the pace, you know, that Joanna puts out there. No one's been able yeah. to go the full 25 and look as good as her. I mean, Carolina came close at 205, but. If you need to have that something extra special in the gas tank, and right now Ioana's proven that nobody can equal her there. I mean, that's she's got that backbone, she's got that 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 extra level of endurance. That that's a really tough out for anybody. Yeah. But people, we'll, ask, and people ask me all the time, who's your favorite UFC fighter? Who's your favorite UFC fighter? I wouldn't say that I have one, but you know, Jacek is certainly one of them. This is going to be a good fight. The other fight of note on here is that this is Vitor Belfort's last fight on his UFC deal. He'll be fighting another veteran in Nate Marquardt. He's 40. There's already rumors he may chase old guy fights at Bellator down the road. Who knows from there? How will you remember Vitor Belfort in a very complicated career that has gone back to back in the day when UFC was only showing up in Alabama, back when the young <laughs> Todd Grisham was was cage side under a 10 at like UFC 14? That's when Vitor Belfort was knocking dudes out. I mean, it's it's a complicated. I mean, it's just like, how do you remember Alex Rodriguez? What's the first thing you think of when I say that? What do you think? Steroids. I mean, and I remember asking him one time, I think, did he get popped twice or maybe three times over the years? He got popped around 06, 07, and then the the, the, the year of the Mohawk, 2013, was his TRT year. It wasn't right. He wasn't popped, but three times he fought in Brazil with really no testing, with, with TRT being legal, and he looked like a like a damn Superman. I mean, that well, was— I remember, ask, I remember asking him, we were in Los Angeles, uh, I think it was— uh, like they had a summer press conference where everybody was, you know, like 18 fighters were on the dais or whatever. And I remember they had just announced, I don't know if you remember this, they were like, if you get caught twice for steroids or TRT, whatever it is, you're done. Like two strikes and you're out or something like that. And I asked him his thoughts on that. I kind of set him up, you know, being the good journalist that I am. I'm like, what do you think about the two strikes? Oh, I love it because blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you do realize if this had been in place for the last 15 years, you'd be banned from fighting in the UFC. Oh, and he immediately, you know, was like, well, you know, with God on my side, I'm going to per persevere and I'm going to do well this weekend and, and whatever. So it's hard to, to, to remember all the good without thinking, was that good because of something he did bad? That was almost a video game version of a fighter, though. I mean, forget the, the ridiculously ripped abs at like 37 in the Mohawk. He straight up knocked out. Like, what was it? It was a run of Bisping, Dan Henderson, Rockhold. Luke Rockhold. That Rockhold spinning wheel kick was like the most precise, oh. tight like vicious shot I've probably ever listen, seen. He almost beat John Jones. Remember he had him in the armbar. And he now whether you believe it or not, I interviewed I was at that fight, I interviewed Vitor afterwards and he said it was all my fault because I felt it sinking in. He goes, I felt something pop and I started to let off just a little bit, thinking it was about to be stopped. And that's when Jones slipped out. Whether you believe him or not. But he had that locked in. Jones was in big trouble. Vitor Belfort could have been world champion again that night. Imagine how, how history would have changed if that happened. But he's fighting Nate Marquardt, a little bit washed himself. I think Vitor goes out on top here in Brazil, sits on the cage one more time, uh, brings in the hugs from, from the massive audience there. What, what are you thinking on this one? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's the way Vitor got destroyed in his last fight, it's, it's what Vitor are we going to see? Are we going to see... The v I mean, we know Vitor we're going to see. If it's the same one as last time, but, it, you know, is Marquardt good enough to beat that version of Vitor? That's what it boils down to. I mean, if, if you're a fan of Vitor Belfort, of course you want to see him go out on top. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love him to uh, go out losing his last two fights in dramatic fashion. But I don't. Uh, I try not to pick fights anymore because people on Twitter already hate me enough. Yeah, I so, mean, they'll never forgive you for the Christian, uh, uh, you know, that backlash yeah. there. So, uh, Christian. 
Well, Todd, we went out on top here on this week, uh, this week's In This Corner MMA edition. The great Todd Grishin joining us. How do people find you? I don't mean physically. I don't mean showing up at your door. How do they find you on social media? Come here, Macy. My my uh, my four-year-old just came in. Tell, tell Mr. Brian where they can find me. Say, at Todd Grisham on Instagram. Say it. At Todd Grisham on Instagram. At Todd Grisham yes. on Instagram. Or on Twitter, at Grisham MMA. Brian it's family time, bro. Thank you for extending a portion of your day and welcoming me into this corner, bringing it for the fans. Reach out to Todd. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Todd, can you close the show with your iconic combat sports line? Your your go-to. Oh, from my ESPN days? Come on, it's iconic. The people want to hear iconic. it. I'm Todd Grisham. Keep fighting. We out. <laughs>